Hello and welcome to this week's Why Football podcast with me, Michael Dryden, and Eches Udoku. How are you, Eches? Yeah, I'm okay, Dryden. I'm not too bad at all. Um, what's been going on with me recently? Well, Raul Senyer, he has left Arsenal. Mm. Uh, that happened Very this morning. Recently. Yeah, I was a bit shocked at the gym to hear the news for that. Quite, I think it would be good for the club. Initially, I was quite shocked by it. Obviously, it's not a very good time during a little bit of a transfer window, but mm. we spent a lot of money on the Pepe deal, and he's kind of blown hot and cold, and Kia Jarabchin had a big influence at the club with certain players being brought in. Uh, so maybe, you know, a fresh direction. As long as Arteta remains, I'm, I'll be happy. Yep. Apart from that, I've uh, got a day off on Monday, so I'm buzzing for that. What have we got planned? Going to, I mentioned it last week, actually. I'm going to the Tate Gallery to see the Steve McQueen exhibition, so that, that'll be good. Also, I need to, need to mention this. So basically, I had a grudge match with my friend. On FIFA? On FIFA, correct. Yes, I mentioned FIFA. Not just a fight in the car park? No, 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 not just, yeah. No, no, not that at all. Uh, I had a grudge match with my mate on FIFA, uh, whereby if he won... I would have to give him a shout out on the podcast. Right, which, which you're technically doing. Technically, yeah, but he was never going to win. <laughs> uh, and if I won, we play pro clubs together, I was able to control what position he would be in on pro clubs. So he would have been centre back. Okay. And he normally plays striker. And I won 3 1. Comfortable. Uh, never in doubt. Great. Well, if you have a rematch, let us know on the next podcast. Uh, we'll do, mate. I'll write you. you an email as well. Uh, mm, in case. Thank you. And finally, big shout out to uh, Ashburn USA. Oh, yeah, huge shout out. Huge shout out to the boys. We're booking flights. Yeah, we're going to do a live show in Ashburn. We've got a few listeners there. So, yeah, let's get straight out there. Get a live show going. <laughs> you know, see what, the, see what the town's saying. <laughs> anyway, how are you, Dryden? Yeah, I'm not bad. I'm still stunned from um, what would have been last night's 8-2 win uh, by and against Barcelona. Alfonso Davies skipping past... Nelson Semedo um, was an absolute delight to hold, really, mm. on the left side. Um, PK was seemingly checking TikTok as the ball came through <laughs> at uh, Davies's feet. Um, and Coutinho scoring twice against his pairing club. You, you don't mind seeing that. I also need to rectify an error from last week's podcast. Um, the cricket series I was watching prior to the current Pakistan series was, in fact, England against the West Indies, not England against Sri Lanka. That was never on my part. I'm not a fraud. You sure about that? I'm very sure. Okay. And finally, we also referenced on the last pod, um, Bognor Regis and my little holiday uh, destinations on the South Coast. And Dan, our graphics creator, his mum lives in Bognor Regis. So shout out to her. I'm sure she's listening. So on this week's episode, Etches will be telling us all about the history of the Champions League its current format, and the possibility of a European Super League. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore for our latest content. Please also follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Earcast for immediate access to future episodes. So, Etches, why did you decide on this topic? Yeah, so currently we're in this uh, football festive season, kind of, where we've got games every single night in the Europa League mm. as well as the Champions League. And I thought, you know, a focus on that would be pretty good. Uh, back in December, Adam Crafton from The Athletic wrote a brilliant article looking at the falling revenue figures within European competitions, mm. which I was unaware of. Even though in the Champions League final last year and the Europa League final, there were record-breaking TV audiences, the overall figures in Champions League audiences has dropped from 2 billion in the previous three-year cycle to 1.3 mm. billion. This has resulted in revenue dropping by about 35%, 1.3 to 
while in the Europa League has dropped by 17%. So I thought a deep dive into the Champions League's past, present and future would be really interesting. Mm, absolutely. So tell me a bit more about the UEFA Champions League. Yeah, the idea of the Champions League was formed all the way back in 1955, originally as the European Champions Clubs Cup. Mm, nice and short. Yeah, a bit of a mouthful there. Uh, in the first edition to enter, you had to either be the champion or, in some examples, the runner-up of your respective league. Originally, the famous 16 teams were, some of them were by invitation, AC Milan of Italy, very well known, mm. AGF Aarhus of Denmark, Anderlet in Belgium, Dugarden of Sweden, Guardia Warsaw of Poland, Hibernian of Scotland, Partizan of the former Yugoslavia, PSV Eidenhoven, Rapid Vienna, Real Madrid that we all know very well, Rotweiss Essen, Saarbrücken, Serviette of Switzerland, Sporting, Stade de Rheim, and Voros Lobogo. Well, I've got to say a superb pronunciation. Uh, 10 out of 10 for me. Uh, the yeah, reason why I wanted to mention yourself. those 16 teams is kind of to highlight how far football has moved forward. The vast majority of those sides, uh, well, not really in the Champions League at all and are pretty no, relevant no. on the European scene. Hibernian being a very good example um, on that. But anyway, that was the first Champions League, uh, Champions Cup uh, selectees that were in the competition. And then the winners were Real Madrid, who beat Stade de Reim in the final, I think it was 4-3, with Alfredi de Stefano amongst the scorers. The format hardly changed from its inception in 1955 to 1990, where knockout games are played throughout, which is quite weird to think think of, because obviously we've only known it as round robins and then knockouts yeah. later on. Mm. In 1991, group stages were added, um, with two being brought in. 97, that went up to six. 2003, then went up to eight. A small note on the famous Champions League song. It was written by the British composer called Tony Britton in 92. And the track is based off George Frederick Handel's Zadok the Priest. I'm well versed in classical music, so that's, a, that's not news to me. And then, yeah, that is the famous anthem and famously booed by Man City fans before the games. I'm not sure if it's still going to be the case now. It's been a long time, but um, that was due to they believe anyway, and fair treatment by UEFA in relation to FFP. We've got our, our podcast on FFP, goes into some detail about that, um, dating back to 2014, not too long after FFP was brought in, and the fans believe that City are being targeted alongside the likes of PSG for sanctions. Yeah, the tournament was seemingly more of a competition between actual champions back then, as you say, yeah. without the round robin. Um, so instead of a team finishing third or fourth, in their league and gain entry, you actually had to win um, your league unless mm. you were inv- invited. So I suppose it's not everyone was a champion, but that is the notion. And as an additional note on the topic of the format, I've never been a fan of the Champions League teams that finished third in their group in the tournament, dropping down into the Europa League. I think I've mentioned, mentioned this to you before. It's clearly a ploy by UEFA to increase the standard of the European of the Europa League get these big teams in there, you know, because it's better for the competition, better for revenue, better for the brand. But if you're finishing third in your group, you should just be eliminated. You are eliminated, but not going to the... I don't think that's... You don't start in the competition. I don't think you should be in the competition. Yeah, an interesting stat, you know, I love stats, would be to see how often the teams that finish third Mm. in the Champions League win the Europa League. Yeah. So the last two winners are from the Champions League, Atletico and Chelsea. Yep. 
Um, beyond that, I can't remember. Sevilla obviously won it three times in a row under Emery. I'm not too sure they were always in the Champions League. No, I'm not they too sure. They spent so many, too many seasons there, so that would defunct that. But yeah, I'm just not a fan of that. So who are the more successful sides in the competition? Yeah, the most successful side in history is Real Madrid. Surprise, surprise. Followed by AC Milan. Real Madrid actually have 13 titles. AC Milan have seven. Mm. Liverpool are on six. And Bayern and Barca are on five each. There are a few sides that have managed to keep the trophy due to multiple slash consecutive victories. This includes Real Madrid, Liverpool, Ajax, Bayern Munich and AC Milan. However, after ruling in 2008 came into play, clubs are no longer awarded the trophy, sadly. So Liverpool, after, after their 2005 triumph, were the last team to be given one. Instead, multiple winner badges are handed out, which is much worse. It's 10 times worse. <laughs> oh, here's the a badge. The most lucrative club competition <laughs> in the world in football. And you can't just give them a trophy. It's not scouts. Put yeah, I know it's not scouts. Put a badge in your shoulder. <laughs> Um, so yeah now they give out these multiple uh, winner badges so Barca and the clubs I mentioned before so Real Ajax Bayern Milan and Liverpool also have them so what are the current issues with the Champions League yeah one of the issues with the Champions League and its current format is that we seem to see the same sides win it or get to the latter stages all the time you know, if you look between the years of 1980 and 1999, there were 16 different winners from countries such as Yugoslavia, Holland and Romania. Mm. During 2000 to 2019, there were only nine different winners, predominantly from the big leagues, so Spain, England, Germany mm. and Italy, with the exception being Porto's 2004 win. This recent trend is linked to the dominance of certain sides in their domestic leagues, which I mentioned in a previous pod, so, you know, we've got Bayern with eight Bundesligas in a row, Juventus with nine Scudettos in a row, Barca and Real, I think, have got 15 of the last 16 La Liga titles, yep. with Atletico getting the other one. Mm-hmm. And to summarise, the big European leagues and the Champions Leagues are becoming very, very predictable. Mm. I mentioned earlier that the waning Champions League TV numbers is another massive issue for the Champions League. Consultants that analyse the data behind it believe the main reason is due to shifts in consumer behaviour, with younger fans said to have shorter attention spans and less willing to pay for subscription services when highlights are free or they can just pirate the game. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that I've never actually read before and one that surely affects football as a whole and not just the Champions League, well, or sport as a whole, um, in terms of the generational change and the waning of um, attention spans. In the UK, for example, to watch almost all the televised Premier League games and Champions League games, you would need to have a Sky Sports and BT Sports subscription currently. And I had a look at both the sites, and it's around £70 a month that you need to have just to watch both of those, or to watch basically all the football you want if you're a Premier League fan, a Champions League fan, whatever. It's quite a lot of money to pay per month. Yeah, it's not cheap. Alongside, say, your then entertainment packages. Um, and you could be attending games as well. Um, so it's a lot of money. And it makes me think, are people choosing one or the other? So they're choosing Premier League over Champions League because they get more fixtures. They're more likely to be watching games on the weekend, for example, with yeah. the family or with friends, as opposed to a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night. So yeah, it's an interesting point. So how do you solve these issues? Yeah, well, I think football needs to get more creative with its younger audience. 
um, a solution could be to put Champions League or potential leagues on streaming services like mm. Netflix or Dazzle. I think Netflix actually has an agreement to show league uh, games next season, which is which is great. Mm. The issue is that big corporates like Sky, BT or NBC in America don't want to share these exclusive rights, meaning fans have to pay high fees for subscriptions. On a side note, I think that you know, the death of the TV box is coming and eventually all of these games will be on there. Yeah. But for the time being, uh, you know, it, it's on the TV boxes and not on services like Netflix. Another solution which has been talked about in depth is this mysterious European Super League, which will, in in this idea, see Europe's best go head to head. And that's definitely something which would drive in more fans from across the globe to mm. see big brands like Real Madrid play against Man United week yeah. on week. So back in 2018, the Spiegel actually got hold of leaked reports from someone called John, mm. who is in no relation to Phil, Phil and his dog. Okay, good, very good well. clarification. No relation at all. And he states that senior officials from Europe's top sides were in talks to form a breakaway league in 2021. That's obviously not likely to happen now because that's in a few months or so. But the report stated back then that Real Madrid, AC Milan, Arsenal, mm. Bayern Munich, Juventus and Man United joined forces to discuss this breakaway league. The league would contain 16 sides, 11 of which would be classified as founding teams, who are the seven I mentioned before, plus City or Manchester City, sorry, Liverpool, Chelsea and PSG. None of these sides would face relegation for at least 20 years, which is just like, <laughs> Not bad, is it? Not bad at all, really. Uh, and there would be space for five invitational teams, and they were listed as Atletico Madrid, Borussia Dortmund, Inter Milan, Marseille, and Roma. The report mentioned that these respective sides would leave their leagues and play in a group game format for most of the calendar year with a knockout phase later on. A second league under this one was also possible, or maybe established, uh, where the best teams at the end of the season would play in a series of matches, but potentially gain promotion to the main league. But these games in the mini-series would only be against the initial sides, so not the founding eleven, because they're protected. Mm. They can't, you can't touch those guys. Yeah, if the eventual format includes these teams no longer playing in their domestic leagues, then I do really wonder what would happen to those domestic leagues across, say, for example, the top five leagues, where most of these teams would come from, um, the value and revenue from those leagues would surely shrink without these big brands, which would create yeah. a massive gulf between the Super League the Super League elites, who are hoovering up most of the, the, the TV audience, and then between the domestic game, which would surely stand little chance compared to the Super League. Why would a fan watch Brighton v Burnley when later that evening, or at the same time, they can watch United against... Real Madrid in the Super League. Yeah. Um, so it's overall, it just seems like another bid from the top clubs to preserve their status. So why are the elite clubs proposing this? Yeah, you'd like to think that the these big sides have the best interest of the fans and they're doing it for them. That's not the case. Mm. It's because the biggest sides are unhappy with the Champions League format. The league goes on to say that in 2016, a few members of the original seven, so Arsenal, Man United, Madrid, etc., flew to Budapest to meet senior officials from UEFA. Emails sent afterwards said that their conditions weren't met because they had some which they wanted included. And these were the Champions League being reduced to 24 sides, hold successful teams being awarded places, 
you know, without qualification mm. and that games should be held on weekends in some cases. I find the the old successful sides thing just ridiculous. Yeah, Essentially true. catering to clubs like AC Milan who are mentioned in the league who haven't qualified for the Champions League for five or six seasons say, oh, well, you won it in the past. So here's Well, they're it. trying to say, yeah, that these, these clubs help build the sport as it is yeah. today. So they're owed some status. No, they're not. Which is completely wrong. Uh, it's claimed that eventually UEFA came to an agreement by allocating more revenue to sides that have been more successful in the past in either the CL or Europa, which doesn't really benefit AC Milan, for example, but clubs like Bayern, mm. Real Madrid, even Man United, who won Europa League under Mourinho, yeah. profit massively from that. Mm. UEFA also agreed more money to the winners of each Champions League game, again, benefiting the elite because they tend to win most of their games. Yep. This, however, means less money available to the Europa League and less money in the revenue sharing pot for all the clubs. So that's kind of how they take all of the profit and they distribute it out. Yeah. Even with the fines you mentioned on that FFP pod, they share that equally. Yeah. And this altogether means that the gap between the elite and the smaller clubs just grows and grows and grows. Yeah. From a proposal like this, or for the changes from it, the winners are clearly the biggest sides in Europe who are seeking to generate more money for themselves, but more importantly, to protect their status. I'm biased, but as an Arsenal fan, you, you'll clearly, you'd love an idea like this. You're basically guaranteed this Super League, you're guaranteed the money, you can't get relegated. The extra income you get from that will obviously be put into the team or to the execs, whatever, and they'll just make more and more money. But what was if you're a mid-table Super League team? What's the excitement there? Because you can't, like with Arsenal getting the fourth place has always been the excitement. Now it's turning to Europa League. You know, if you are a mid-table Super League team, what have you got to... Well, I think one of the one of the aspects of the Super League, which is which is not mentioned in great detail, is the revenue that the league itself generates. So by it being closed off, so let's say, yeah, there's only 16 of them and you come eighth every year, it doesn't matter because the revenue that you're generating yeah. from that is huge. So yeah, the incentive is, yeah, it's almost quite weird. There's no real problem coming last because it, it that group, which is closed off from everyone else, is making so much money yeah. that it doesn't really matter. So the real winners are the owners, essentially. 100%. Absolutely. 100%. And as as I, you touched on just before, the losers of this scheme is clearly the smaller sides who want to try and bridge, bridge that gap between Europe's elite. So someone like Leicester or Atalanta have had mm. that fantastic run in the Champions League, wouldn't stand a chance if this Super League went ahead. Yeah, on the topic of Atalanta, I noted in our episode on them, uh, the quote by Juve president Andrea Agnelli, who claimed that sides such as Atalanta should not be in the Champions League full stop and that the old Italian sides that we touched on such as AC Milan, Roma and even Juve and Inter should just be granted direct access so it doesn't matter where you finish in the league doesn't matter how you perform because of the success you previously had and you've helped build this you know dynasty of sport or football then you should just be owed you know membership in this Champions League to protect investment is what mm. he said I do understand how you do put a lot of money into a club or any sort of sporting franchise and it's such high risk that you do feel a bit aggrieved if you lose it, but yeah. then you're still getting that massive reward. So they want the windfall, but mm. can't deal with the, the deficit when it comes, which I find mm. just a bit, I don't know, it's just not very, it's very unsporting. The whole thing doesn't really help build sport and integrity within football, which seems to be lost. And we're also losing the romance of the cup competitions in a sense, or the Champions League. So we can no longer see a Porto reach the final and win it. We can no longer see a Monaco in that same year in 2004 reach the final and nearly win the trophy. We wouldn't see an Atalanta surge 
through the tournament. We wouldn't see an RB Leipzig. It's all just against kind of what a lot of sport stands for and the excitement that comes with it. And the new model, on a similar vein, would largely prevent a club from growing and penetrating that elite. So look at how much, how much Leicester City have grown in recent years. Yep. Aside from the title win, which had it, it was for its own reasons, occurred. But they've grown loads. And their focus on data-driven recruitment has been pioneering. Mm. So why can't a club like that, who's doing so much behind the scenes and on the pitch as well, because, I mean, they finished, they finished fifth or sixth. Mm. Um, why can't they dream or reach the top? They can't in that Super League proposal. No, they can't. And a more important question is, why weren't Sunderland drafted in for the original 16? I don't know, but one thing to mention is that uh, Lee Barry Catmull retired um, from football just uh, this week. I'd just like to say, Lee, if you're listening, um, great servant to the club, absolute legend of football. I hope you come back to manage Sunderland and then England eventually. Okay, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) So how have the clubs reported, responded to the leaked reports? Yeah, a lot of the big sides mentioned distanced themselves from the reports, which is worrying as it adds a bit of credibility to the leak. Mm. You know, sometimes you read messages about to join Inter Milan and then it gets rubbished by both clubs straight away as yep. nonsense. But here, their, their silence actually said quite a lot. <laughs> um, according to the reports, Karl Hein Rümminger of Bayern Munich was said to be interested in such a league, but the report said he was uncomfortable with it being done against the wishes of UEFA. He officially released a statement through Bayern Munich saying they were unaware of such an agreement on a Super League and the club don't comment on private discussions. Mm. Arsenal released a similar statement and the rest of the Premier League declined to comment. Hans-Jakim Watzke of Dortmund declined to comment on the specific draft agreement of the Super League. He went on to say that as long as he's CEO of Dortmund, they will never leave the Bundesliga, but is open on a discussion about a new European Super League. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. For the discussion, there's two really big questions. One is who really owns the sport of football? Mm. You know, is it the fans who made it great? The clubs that keep it running? Or the associations that are supposed to supervise it? With the second question being, will the Super League actually happen Mm. so to answer the first one you know modern fans in general are priced out of games and they're beginning to see the sport they grew up loving entering the corporate worlds you see fans argue with ticket prices etc and the rising costs and people feeling that they no longer feel part of the club when it's supposed to be a community thing yeah which is getting quite sad you know the disparity between the richest and the poorest clubs is only going to get bigger Personally, I think UEFA needs to keep the idea of a European Super League at bay. Because if they don't, the power shift from associations to clubs would be complete. And I'm very uncomfortable with this private league idea being run by some of the richest clubs around. I feel like the people to lose out will be the poorer sides and fans. Mm, absolutely. Well, in my opinion, if this goes ahead, football will become more about the profitability and commerciality of the Super League, its elite, and the shareholders slash owners, rather than the football itself. And with that, the values and integrity of the sport are in jeopardy. Something could become very predictable indeed, and systematic about the same teams competing against each other every year in this Super League. So the sport could be in danger of becoming stale. Do fans, the consumers, actually want to see a Super League Will the sport peak in viewership after the Super League comes in? 
and then start to decline like the current competition is as things become even more predictable. It's also an interesting question that you raised, Eches, of who owns the sport. The sport has become a market, in my opinion, rather than one enterprise where, as you say, money is paramount. Power, therefore, has already shifted to the wealthiest clubs. They have more resources than the governing bodies, who arguably have lost control. It seems there is therefore little stopping the 16 biggest European franchises from creating their own league. Yes, the next point is kind of, do you think or do we think it will actually happen? Will this European Super League go ahead? Because of the predictable nature of the European football at the moment, I think a form of the European Super League is inevitable. Uh, You know, as clubs are getting richer and richer and poorer sides are getting poorer and poorer, I think they'll get to a point where either everything is so predictable that it will just form. But what I think this, this, this league will have is it won't be that, you know, teams leave the Bundesliga or the Premier League or La Liga. Mm. I think it will be an extended version of the Champions League uh, because if these clubs did leave their respective leagues, divisions would fold altogether and it'd mm. be utter chaos. As you said, why would you want to invest in Premier League that doesn't have Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool in it? Yep. Why would you want to invest in a Liga without Barca, Real Madrid or Atletico? Uh, what needs to happen with the league, which uh, I believe will also be in its scope, is it'll be run by UEFA. There is mm. no way a, a competition will be run by privately by clubs because that would just be awful uh, and the fans' best interest won't be at heart. You could argue the UEFA then have the fans' best interest at heart, but I feel safer in the knowledge that UEFA are running a competition rather than like execs at Arsenal or AC Milan. Uh, UEFA, I, I believe, are planning new formats of the Champions League in 2024. So any potential Super League is some way off yet, but somewhere has something has to give. The longer this predictable nature goes on, the quicker a European Super League will come. If uh, you know more competition arises in certain leagues to make football more interesting, then I think the Super League will just be pushed into onto a back burner. Mm, indeed, absolutely. There are other factors too to finish on, such as logistics of having a European-only league, uh, the price of travel and tickets in that eventuality, and even the carbon cost of these matches. Um, are more and more people going to be priced out attending matches, as we touched on? And do players actually want to be travelling more than their current schedule around different parts of Europe? They have families too, they have homes too. And touching on the carbon footprint arguments, FIFA has came under pressure for its World Cups in terms of its carbon footprint. You wafer for its competitions, such as the Champions League. How are they going to reduce their carbon footprint whilst expanding their own competitions to a more kind of logistical heavy, logistically heavy format? So that's all from us. Thank you to Etches for doing the research. And thank you for tuning into this week's Why Football podcast. Please do not forget to follow us at YFootball underscore. Please also follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Earcast for immediate access to future episodes. Cheers, guys, and see you next time.